people have to feel like you know them. Because when they do, then they also know that you know when they screw up, that they screwed up and didn't mean it. <laughs> that it wasn't on purpose and that they can do better, you know. They know that you know them well enough that, that you trust them to do their job and that they trust you to trust them to do their job. Dr. Chris Jones here and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Mandy Freilich is an educator, former instructional coach, and director of innovation and technology who passionately encourages educators to create innovative change in their classrooms. Her interest lies in reinvigorating and re-engaging teachers back into their profession, as well as what's needed to support teachers in their pursuit of innovative and divergent thinking and teaching. Mandy consults internationally with school districts and post-secondary institutions in the effective use of technology to support great teaching, mental health support for educators, and how to create organizational change. Freilich's work as a graduate instructor allows her to positively impact the next generation of instructional leaders. Her books on mental health awareness and educator engagement can be found on her website, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and EduMatch Publishing, not to mention we're going to link all that up in the show notes after. So um, I'm really excited about having Mandy here specifically because she talks about re-engaging and divergent thinking and teaching. So welcome to the podcast, Mandy. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate you. This is going to be a, a great conversation. So I'll I'll just jump right into it. Your interest, you talk about reinvigorating or reengaging, and and you know this is all about supporting, engaging, and empowering teachers. Mm -hmm. So why don't we talk a little bit about that and and how you go about that, or or what you do around that? Yeah. So my um, I, I feel a little bit like I started out talking about mental health support for teachers and some of the things that were happening in districts that negatively impact a teacher's mental health. And that was years ago. That was way prior to the to the pandemic that I was speaking about that. And in a way, I believe I came around to almost I don't know, fighting for teachers' rights sounds a little bit dramatic. <laughs> and yet that's sometimes I feel like that's the area that I'm in. And at the end of the day, it really does, it, it just comes from a place of me wanting teachers to be happy in their jobs. Um, happy as humans, happy as people, um, happy as teachers, because I believe that that feeling and that energy really impacts the way that our students learn. So that part is important. However, as humans, they also have that right to be happy in themselves, you know, in their profession and themselves. So the reinvigorating, the re-inspiring, those types of things have really come from a place of understanding what it's like to all of a sudden wake up one day and think, oh my gosh, I don't want to be here anymore. And having to really dig yourself out of that um, because one day doesn't change it and one person being positive doesn't change it. And one 
setting an intention or day of self-care doesn't change it. And so that's really where that comes from is just the desire to, to help humans find happiness in their profession. I love how you said, and even though you, you laughed about it afterwards, the idea of fighting for teachers' rights. You're like a uh, teacher's rights warrior, I guess. I <laughs> guess, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you said something really important, though. The idea that what an awful feeling that is, is to wake up and come to that realization that, man, I don't want to do this anymore, or this is not for me. And it takes a lot because you have to really reflect on what brought you to that or or what suddenly changed in your life. And you mentioning that one day doesn't fix that. It doesn't change that feeling. It's not one person smiling or waving in the hall. It's not, God forbid me saying this, but it's not the pizza party, you know, to make everybody feel good. <laughs> um, massages, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So how does, let's let's stay with that for a minute, if you will. How does a leader get to their teacher's in an effective way, as far as, you know, without being too coy and saying self-care, but to get them to like their job again, to bring that back into them, that passion that really lit that flame for them in the beginning. How do we do that as leaders? Well, I think that there are a couple things that can be done outside of the self-care arena, uh, you know, encouraging teachers to practice self-care and modeling self-care and all of those kinds of things. First, working, really working on that climate and culture in the building. Because if you, you know, I, in my books, I, I discuss um, disengaged teachers and how it's really an emotional engagement or disengagement uh, to your job. And a lot of that, a lot of that stems from the culture in the building and it's directly correlated. If you have a bunch of disengaged teachers, your climate and your culture are going to be heavy and negative and all of those types of things. If you have a lot of engaged teachers, it's going to be the opposite. And um, so they really do go together. And and sometimes it's, you know, well, what comes first? Is it the negative culture <laughs> causes the disengaged teachers or vice versa? I don't know if I can answer that exactly. I think it depends upon the situation, but really working on that, that climate and culture. And how can you do that? You can do that by building trust. You can do that by supporting your teachers. You know, you can do that by finding out how a teacher likes to be supported. You know, I uh, have been speaking for a while about how I I believe that there's this certain way that teachers want to be supported. And if you think about, if you're familiar with the love languages, you know, it's very similar to that. And I often tell a story of, I was working with my mentor the one time and I said to him, I was, I was really struggling in my job at the time uh, with my administrator. And I said to him, how do you, how do you feel supported? Like what makes you feel supported? And he said, um, you know, clear communication. If I have an administrator with clear communication, I feel supported. And I was like, oh, really? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's fine. <laughs> but, you know, I, I really feel supported when I feel like my administrator has my back. Like, that's what I want. I want to know someone has my back, that they know that I work really, really hard. And if I screw up, somebody is there to be like, we got this. We got this together. You know, that's, that's what makes me feel supported. And he's like, yeah, eh. You know, (laughs) and the the realization it brought me to was if we had, if him and I were teaching in a building and we had a leader 
And that leader's strength was clear communication. Like from the standpoint of clear communication, this was the best administrator ever. There were the, there's a chance that I wouldn't feel as supported as I could. And whereas if the opposite were true, um, you know, it was somebody who really had their teacher's backs, but wasn't necessarily a great communicator, I'd feel supported and he wouldn't. And um, so from that standpoint, I've often said, you can't decide how your teachers feel supported. You need to help them determine what that is because they may not know and then support them in those ways. Um, that's how you're really going to build a solid culture, a, an understanding of how your teachers like to be led, which may not be the way you're comfortable leading. Um, and that's really, you know, that coupled with understanding what teachers have on their plates, to me, are some of the most powerful ways that leaders can impact their teachers' mental health. So what I'm hearing is almost, if I could, if I could simplify it this much for the listeners, is you need to crowdsource how you support or ideas on how to support. Yeah. Um, and that, that crowd being your faculty, right? Because I, that, that example you gave is so clear as far as, you know, what you do for one isn't going to work for the other. And it doesn't matter whether you're good at it or you're comfortable at it. You have to figure out what it is. And I'm so glad you right. said the love languages, because that's what I was thinking when you said not everybody gets supported the same. Yeah. That was good. And then offer voice, right? Yeah. You have to listen to what the teachers are saying they need and give them opportunities to do that. Now, we often talk about over-surveying and, you know, geez, who's got time for meetings and things like that in this day and age, but how do leaders meaningfully solicit voice from their faculty? Because everybody likes to be heard, but not everybody thinks that they are heard. Mm -hmm. So what are some things that leaders could do to, to get more voice from their faculty? Well, for me, I think that when you do anything that has a truly emotional connection or it's going to elicit an emotional response, it needs to be done in person. So for example, I, I feel like when you're talking about teacher support, those conversations need to be explicit. Don't guess on what you think it is. Ask them. And in asking them, you're going to have to take them through some conversations for them to even know that because they may never have been asked. I was never in all my teaching, all my instructional coaching, all my uh, directoring, I was never asked how I feel supported. And it was only that conversation with my mentor where I actually sat down and thought about it. And so they're going to need to be brought through those conversations. I think that there are, are some strategies that you can uh, used to talk about those things. For example, there's there's a thinking protocol that I love. It's called one, two, four, all. And uh, when you're going to define something or you're going to talk about a concept, you first have one person write down their thoughts. Then you have them get with, a, you know, in a pair and talk about what they came to. Then they get into a group of four and talk about that. And then they share it with the whole well, class <laughs> or faculty. <laughs> and um you know, so so really giving them time to process through what people are thinking is is an important part. You can't just expect an answer because they may have never been given the chance to say that um, or to think about it. And and then having uh, you know one on one like meaningful one on one meetings that go beyond. Well, let's take a look at your data for this week, or you know, like some of those 
those kinds of conversations that are very school driven have an emotionally connected conversation with those people and talk about support because their support is just as important as student support. hundred percent. I, I mean, now you're speaking my language about the teachers being as important as the students, as far as supporting, you know, I, I think about what you said about the, the emotional piece of it and just really powerful, the idea of an explicit protocol that you use or an explicit explanation, because you know, how often have, and I don't know if this has happened to you, it's happened to me, but somebody asks how they can support you. And you're kind of like, uh, uh, I'm not sure, <laughs> you know, so right. it's, it's almost like it comes out organically when you're talking to them mm-hmm. as far as what they need or, or what will really matter to them. Yeah. And, and giving them examples too. And I mean, you're obviously you're going to have people who are better at this than others, right? Like it depends on how self-aware they are, how self-reflective they are, um, the relationship you've already established with them, because it's going to be much more difficult if it wasn't as positive of a relationship to begin with, because you're kind of coming from behind. But you know, you're you're gonna have it's gonna run the gamut on on what you get on that. Um, but giving them examples, you know, it's, you're going to say, how do you feel supported? And some people might say, well, make sure there's paper in the copy machine. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's not what I meant. <laughs> you know, so give them, give them examples of what that means and, and, and set them up for a, a safe, successful, emotional uh, conversation. It's funny that you said that because I, uh, just a quick story, you know, when I, when I thought I was doing so well, I do. I do 15 minute meetings with every teacher in my building um, in the middle of the year. And I typically ask three questions of them. You know, what's, what am I doing right now that I need to keep doing? In other words, what's working? What am I doing now that I need to stop doing? In other words, you know, Jones cut it out. And the other one is what can, what's something I can do for you. And it's funny because I had a teacher use that example. I had a teacher say, well, I really like the magnetic poetry and I'd really like a set of magnetic poetry that I could use on my board with my students. So I was like, magnetic poetry, man. I wrote it down, check, done. And I felt so good about myself. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You missed the whole boat on what else this teacher might need, but that's all right. So I guess, you know, all, all too often because leaders, right, we get wrapped up in what we're doing. And we're looking for that box to check. We're looking mm-hmm. for that easy, what's the quickest way between any two points, right? Yeah. So I, I, I just really liked that you sent that and, and talked about how it, it sometimes sometimes is a process. Yeah. And I love those questions. Like I think, you know, asking those types of questions, I think are great. I also think that it's like, it's sometimes you have to be willing to get off that sort of box and that you're you're putting that that meeting in and decide to you know when when we got when we got on this podcast you said to me we're going to go where the conversation takes us you know <laughs> and and what do you end up with you end up with some of the best conversations and that's that's exactly it, it's not any different than how leadership needs to be with teachers you start start it off let them start it off you know ask them to come with a topic or a question in mind or um, something that is just, you know, foremost, the thing that's driving them crazy or making them happy, whatever it is, have them start out the conversation and, and see where it goes. And I think, you know, again, that's where you're going to get the most vulnerability and connection. 
it's interesting because as soon as you do something like that, what you're mentioning, like even, even don't have them come to you uh, as a leader, go to them to their classroom. If you want to talk about how they need to be supported, just, you know, just that little change in environment um, and things like that. But asking that open-ended question, it leaves, it leaves so much room where I, I, we're in the middle of 15 minute meetings now. And I ask one question um, at the end about support. It's, it's geared towards support and what do you need? And I had a couple of teachers not even talk about what they need, but talk about what other teachers need and what they see from other teachers. Mm. So sometimes it's, you know, it's funny the different answers you get when it's open-ended like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that because that means that they're so aware of what's going on around them. Right. Around. Um, On on the flip side, they're also not paying attention to their needs. We won't talk about that. (laughs) We're going to skip over that. We're going to go with the positive. They're aware of what's happening. Um, When I first started talking about mental health years ago, I would go into I would go into, you know, districts or conferences and I would work with teachers and we would start to talk about mental health and SEL for adults. And they could not stay in the adult lane for more than two minutes. They would start to talk about the students because they're such giving people and they want they want other people to be happy. And inevitably, I'd have to bring them back around. Like, these are such important conversations about students. But right now, we're here to focus on you. And and that was totally mind-blowing to some people to have to focus on themselves and to talk about their own mental health. And in some cases, it was not that they wanted to ignore their own mental health. It was that the student's mental health was more important than anything that they wanted to think about about themselves. And it wasn't energy they wanted to spend there. And um, so I think traditionally it's difficult to get teachers to think about themselves because that's not why they got into this job. And uh, so, yeah, I think, but I think those are fantastic questions. So talk to me a little bit, seeing that we're talking about questions, talk to me a little bit about divergent thinking and and what you mean when you talk about helping teachers with divergent thinking and educators with divergent thinking. Why don't you uh, take a little bit of time and riff on that for us? Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> Divergent EDU is a book that I wrote. I actually wrote it in tandem uh, with my with Fire Within. So I would get sick of writing one book. I would go to the other book and I'd work on that. If you ever just, anybody out there ever decides to write a book, it's best to write two at once. Because when you get sick of one, you can just move to the other one. I was, I didn't know you wrote them both at the same time. I know you have the two, but I, that's a brilliant idea. That's a, (laughs) that's a gold nugget right there that when you walk away, you don't have to, when you get a little overwhelmed. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but go ahead. Yeah, no, that's okay. It's, um, it really is, it really is the best way. It's not completely um, annihilates writer's block because you just move to the other one. So it's a hack. But uh, Divergent, so Divergent EDU itself, the book is based on the hierarchy of needs for innovation and divergent thinking. And um, what I found was when I was a tech integrator, um, I would kind of joke that I would walk down the halls and felt like the teachers were like flying into their classrooms, like sliding in, slamming the doors. And and for the longest time, I thought, what am I doing wrong? Like I'm, I'm being so nice and I'm trying to be so helpful. What is wrong with me? And what I realized was I felt like I was one of the most important people in the teacher's lives because that was my job was to be 
a support, right? When in reality, they looked at me as one more person who had something for them to do. And, and you know, contrary to my belief, it, I was not one of the most important people that, that they were dealing with at the time. And then I started to really look around and see everything that was being put on their plate that they had to deal with. And, and how that was really taking just, uh, you know, uh, it was taking their emotional capacity. It was taking any brain, extra brain space or bandwidth that they had. There were so many other things going on for them. And the more things that they had going on, and it could have been building dependent, it could have been grade level, student dependent. The more things they had going on, the less likely they were to have the capacity left to be innovative and divergent thinkers. And so some of those things, when I started to, to look at what they were, they were like climate and culture. And, you know, I worked in two different buildings, uh, or I worked in three buildings, but two buildings were totally the opposite. One had a really um, robust and positive climate and culture. And the other one, I mean, you could almost feel the negativity when you walked into the building. Um, one, I could go for you know weeks and wanted to stay. The other one I would walk in and I had a rule that I couldn't be there for more than two days or I would start to complain and be negative. And so I worked in these two different buildings and the difference in how receptive teachers were to thinking innovatively or divergently, which is, it's like thinking creatively. It takes extra energy to get there, you know, to, to do that kind of thinking. The difference in those two buildings was crazy. It, it couldn't have been more different. Um, you know, obviously in, in the building that was more positive, teachers were reaching out to me, asking me, um, you know, can you can you come talk to me about design thinking, you know? And, and I think, what? Yes, I will be right there. I am running down the hall right now. And then the other school, I, I just I couldn't get anyone to talk to me. And I really believed that, you know, things like climate and culture, their leadership was a huge difference, which was impacting their climate and culture. Um, those two things were really making a difference in their mindset and, and how they thought about their jobs and, and students and professional learning. The professional learning was different. Even if they were providing the same professional learning, the experience was different in each building, depending upon who is there. And all of those things support innovation and divergent thinking. So if you have, you know, if, if you have those four layers and they're solid and they're supporting each other, teachers have a greater ability uh, more capacity to be able to put energy towards the innovation and divergent thinking. And, and so from that standpoint, um, I believe that, you know, the hierarchy of needs for innovation and divergent thinking is really a teacher supported system. It's how can we, like, if we're going to ask teachers to do that stuff, what do we need to do as leadership, as, as, um, you know, principals as district personnel, what do we need to do in order to give them what they need to have the capacity to do that? One of the areas that is, uh, that, you know, I can pull back over is the engaged teacher is in climate and culture. And, you know, 
when if you have any sort of holes in these in these layers, you're going to have less chance to have a teacher who is is uh, able to be innovative and a divergent teacher. So that's sort of where the the innovation divergent is and, and how it supports teachers because it's you know I had and and I ended up writing the book because I had put the hierarchy out long before the book and um, I had no intention of writing a book on it. And I had a district in, I think it was Brazil, reach out to me and say, we are using your hierarchy. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. You're <laughs> using like, what? Yeah. I can't believe that. And it, and as I asked how they were using it, it ended up they were using it as a compliance tool. And, <laughs> um, and I said, oh, no, 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 no. Let me help you with that. And that was the catalyst for the book because I never wanted anyone to think it was supposed to be used for compliance. So. Yeah, took your whole what away. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yep, it absolutely took all the, the wind out of my sails on that one. <laughs> well, hey, look, it resulted in a book that's got a lot of good stuff about it um, or a lot of good stuff <laughs> in it about divergent thinking and innovation, how to support teachers. So maybe they did you a favor. Yeah, right. Well, that, that, that could have been what I needed for sure. Yeah, see, we'll stick with the positive aspect of it. <laughs> So, I mean, you just said a, a lot about the teachers and how much is on their plate and how much they actually have to do, which is ever-changing, ever-increasing, and how leaders have to be aware of that before they expect any kind of innovation from teachers. Because if they don't, if and we were, and we were talking about this pre-show about automating, right? So mm -hmm. if, if they have the ability to automate because they're in a system, there's no innovation because they don't have time and they need to be efficient and they need to get as much off their plate as possible. So I think mm -hmm. that's really important that that point that you bring up as far as the culture and how the culture drives that. Yeah, for sure. And, and like I said, it does take, that was part of the problem with the pandemic and I, why I feel so many people are exhausted the way that they are is not only because uh, during the height of the pandemic, it was a lot of work and everybody was working so hard, but also because we were, we were, we were breaking the hierarchy. Right. You know, we, um, it was that we were asking people to be innovative and divergent thinkers and teachers and everything else underneath that was not supported. We didn't, in, in a lot of cases, teachers didn't have an established climate or culture for their building working virtually, you know, that it might have, even if it was good inside the building, you don't know what it was like when everyone was working from home. You know, there was, there was just so many, so many things that were not support like they were supposed to be. And yet we were saying, well, think in innovatively. And people were worried about, you know, COVID and getting sick and family members getting sick. There's so many other things going on. And I think that's why the toll has been so heavy uh, from the pandemic is simply because when you look at that hierarchy, everything was, we were, we were asking people to do the impossible. We were asking them to be innovative and divergent when nothing else was underneath them. You bring up so many good points and just wrap it all into, I mean, when you're talking about it, it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> you know, the stuff that I struggle <laughs> with thinking about, I'm like, well, yeah, that of course. <laughs> but so, I mean, you bring, you bring a lot of clarity to it. What I do want to do is, um, you've got a lot of ideas about supporting teachers and things like that. I want to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and come back and talk about your ideas as to what schools should actually look like for teachers and students. 
Today's podcast is brought to you by Better Leaders, Better Schools, who put out a great newsletter every Sunday called The Weekend Resource. This newsletter provides incredible value, sharing tremendous leadership resources from across a variety of resources. And I personally love the inspiring quote at the end of each weekend resource because I can use it with my staff. Subscribe by visiting betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash weekend dash resource. I use Anchor to distribute the Seeing to Lead podcast because I find it to be the best tool to suit my busy schedule. Anchor has everything I need all in one place, offers hands-free distribution to everywhere podcasts are heard, and is free to use. I can use anywhere from some to all of its features based on what I need at the time. On top of all that, you can be mobile, recording, editing, and distributing all right from your phone. You can also easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Okay, and we're back with Mandy, and she was giving us tons of good information that you can also find in her book, Diversion EDU, which we'll link up in the show notes, um, about, you know, teachers and how to encourage teachers to be innovative and engage in divergent thinking by taking things off their plate and a whole host of other things around supporting and finding out teachers, basically their love languages. Um, For those of you that don't know, those are different ways that people see support according to who they are. I have to ask you this because I'm pretty sure it's going to be a, a really interesting answer. What do you think schools should look like for teachers and students? <laughs> well, um, I, I mean, we could go off from all yeah. of the, yeah, I mean, <laughs> just let know. it rip. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go, you know, Monday through Thursday, school weeks, competency based, uh, kids can move as they want, but you know, the thing that I think the, the thing that I feel like we've started to miss and, and which would make our schools look a lot different is we have started to lose the human aspect of what we do. And, and that is when I, when I think about education and at the root, what's happening right now, um, when you talk about standardized testing and everybody, everybody becomes data and everybody has a label and you, you know, you have, we're, we're constantly looking at deficits and and trying to figure out how to quote unquote fix people like that's that's what we feel like we do deep down and that nobody needs to be fixed you know everybody has a different way to learn and that's fantastic you know um, students who are are dual language learners they're not or you know students who are uh, in ESL programs like we look at them as having a deficit in in speaking English, but they speak two languages. Like, how cool is that? And, and, you know, that's just one example, but there are so many, so many different pieces of being human that we're missing out of our schools. And, and so when you think about like, what do you want school to look like? We want everyone to feel welcome. We want them to feel like they belong. We want them to enjoy most of what they do. 
like, let's face it, we're never going to get everybody to love everything that we do in school. Like, you know, we didn't like everything we did in yeah. school. You know, I didn't like gym class most of the time. And, you know, but if we can get them to love most of what they do and appreciate the other stuff, like, that's a pretty good goal. But I feel like we're so busy constantly trying to to fix things and come come from behind in some areas that we're never appreciating where we are right now and what the kids are doing. And, and from that standpoint, we take, take a huge step back in the connection to learning and the connection to other humans around us and in empathy. I mean, you could go a million different ways with that. So when, when you talk about what school should look like for me it's not so much a thing as it is a feeling you know the feeling that you get or the emotion that you get when you walk into it and so that's probably not the type of answer you're looking for um but that's what i've got no absolutely that's that's exactly the answer i'm looking for you're talking about because so i'm i'm a firm believer in climate and culture Mm-hmm. and having a positive climate and culture, because I'm also a firm believer that if if you build that culture in your building, it becomes an incredibly resilient culture. Yeah. And so that people persevere through hardships, which there's going to be in life. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's such a valuable lesson for everybody to understand. But you you take it even a little further, the whole idea about standardized testing and assigning people to numbers or um, not to misquote you, but the way you put it, we, we're taking the humanity out of education, which yeah. for thousands of years, it's been mm-hmm. about the human aspect of it. Yeah. So how does, because some of it's messaging, right? You talk about the positive messaging. You have your ELL students and they, right, they struggle with English, but they speak two languages. So there's the positive mm-hmm. side of that. How do leaders really kind of, I don't know if it's bolster their staff or stand up with or for their staff in the face of standardized testing and in the face of dehumanizing education. Do you have any ideas for leaders when they're thinking about that? Like besides the, besides the positive messaging, we can do that. And you know, that starts to take some strong things, but actions. Yeah. Such an interesting question. So there will always be things that we have to do that we don't want to do. Standardized testing is a perfect example, right? Like, us as we as teachers, we don't have control over that. There are some other people who know nothing about education who decide that we have to do standardized <laughs> testing. Right. And so, what you're in my opinion, what needs to be done is you have to level out the inhuman stuff with a whole bunch of humanity, um, and that means making stronger relationship connections. I was listening to, I don't know if you're familiar with Dave Schmidower's work. I was listening to him keynote uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he told a story about how he had a superintendent who asked him to write down a Christmas present for each one of his teachers. And not just like a $5 or $10 Starbucks gift card, but something meaningful that they would actually love. And, um, you know, he could get through his secretary and a couple people here and there. And that was really it. And, at, you know, at the time when he was just learning this and, and the superintendent said to him how important those types of connections are. People have to feel like you know them. 
Because when they do, then they also know that you know when they screw up, that they screwed up and didn't mean it. <laughs> that it wasn't on purpose and that they can do better, you know. They know that you know them well enough that that you trust them to do their job and that they trust you to trust them to do their job. I mean, there are so many pieces of really knowing somebody well. You know, you know that you you trust them well enough that they, you know they'll have difficult conversations with you if it needs to happen because there's an element of trust in that too. And so all of those things, you know, supporting them when, when they need it. Uh, you know, if they ask you to come to their classroom, actually showing up, doing the things that you say you're going to do and, and doing them with flair and gusto and all of those types of things. You know, being silly sometimes if you're in elementary, being silly sometimes if, if you're in secondary, no matter how the kids are going to look at you because they will look at you. <laughs> so balancing out that sort of cold, calculated side of education with the warm, feeling, empathetic connection side is what I would say needs to be done to, you know, to sort of battle that side of education. That's fantastic. So we're getting near the end. Um, I have two questions I ask everybody at the end of the podcast. First one, if you were not an educator, who, not what would you be? So a lot of people have asked me the who, uh, which makes this question interesting because, or, or, um, ask me the what, I'm sorry, has asked me the what I've wanted to be. I've wanted to be a lawyer and that's always my go-to question. You know, I, that, that was what I wanted to do. But at the root of why I wanted to be a lawyer is because I always wanted to have, I wanted to be the voice for people who felt like they lost their voice. and so that I, I feel like that uh, kind of runs through everything that I've, I've always done, you know, working for Edumatch, for example, who really is there to, to, you know, raise the voices of, of traditionally marginalized groups. Like that has been absolutely a passion of mine is working for Edumatch and, and with the everything from going into teaching for um, similar reasons to connect with kids who had abusive childhoods like I did, you know, and, and giving that voice to them when they didn't have it. Uh, that has been sort of a strand through everything I do. So I think that um, even if I wasn't an educator, that would probably still be the case because uh, I really, I can't imagine doing any other kind of work. That's so beautifully articulated and pretty much summed up in your first the first thing you said, be the voice for people so that you can speak out for people that are maybe particularly marginalized or don't have their voice. So mm -hmm. that was, that was excellent. See, it, it's like everybody asked you the who instead of the what. <laughs> you were all over it. So the next one is for, uh, for a lot of the listeners to this. What's the most important thing leaders need to know if they're to better support, engage, and empower their teachers? Well, and we've talked about this quite, you know, quite a bit. And I really, I can't think of any better advice than to step back and look at the people around you as humans. Um, because there are so many, there are so many times we can get wrapped up in the, the, you know, poor behavior of a student or choice that they, that they made at the time that, you know, is gotten you frustrated. Now you have to talk to their parents who are angry. And then you have to talk to the, the teacher who's angry. And, and you know, you, we get wrapped up in these situations. And 
And it's hard sometimes to remember that, you know, just that everybody's fighting a battle, you know, nothing about, you know, and, and it's hard to be empathetic and compassionate. And, but when you start to remember that we're all just a bunch of people trying to figure out our, the next best thing to do, uh, just like, just like leaders are, you know, no, no different, just trying to figure out the next best step, the next best thing, the next right thing. I think it changes the way you lead people. And so that would be my, my suggestion. Awesome. And it's a strong one at that. <laughs> so look, you said a, a, a ton of great things, Manny. I'm so happy that I was able to have you on the podcast today. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to follow up, if they want to hear more about this? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Honored to be honored to be on the podcast. The best way to get a hold of me is by my website. It's www.divergentedu.com. Um, you can find me at Freilich M on the Twitterverse, Freilich Mandy on uh, Freilich Mandy or DivergentEDU on Instagram. I think I'm on uh, most of the socials, so you can find me there. And my books are on Barnes & Noble, Amazon, edumatchpublishing.com, but you can find links to all of them on my website. Awesome. And all that will be put in the show notes so people can go back and refer to it. Perfect. Well, again, thank you very much. It was fun talking to you. I, I had a good time and uh, I definitely learned quite a few things listening to you. So I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. Thank you.